do you navigate change? It's a question we think about often and one that today's world expects us to be comfortable with. The challenge, however, is where do you begin and how do you develop the mindset and skill set to be successful? Welcome everyone to the Sprint to Success with Design Thinking podcast. I'm your host, Saba Kidwai. Join me each week as I share the stories and strategies from the world's leading researchers and practitioners about why they believe the answer lies in practicing design thinking. What is happening? Where is it happening? And why is it happening? These are the questions that today's guest believes are absolutely essential to ask when thinking about how we tell stories and how we make sense of not just change, but all of the data and information that we have in front of us today. I'm so excited to introduce you to one of my favorite people that I met in Finland, Dr. Tommy Kapanen. He's a professor of information visualization and cognitive systems at Aalto University, and he holds a PhD in media technology. Now, I personally had never heard the term information visualization before. I had definitely heard the term media literacy, and obviously I had heard people and, you know, being at the forefront of sort of having discussions about how we become literate in a world where we are sort of bombarded with so many different types of media and data and information. However, I've never really heard anyone as eloquent and articulate as Tommy. And so when we have these really intense conversations today about how to prepare people to navigate a world with an overwhelming amount of data, how you distinguish fact from fiction, and how you just really ensure that you're a critical consumer of information, Tommy just had an absolute gift for being able to really almost simplify how to move forward, how to give people the skills and strategies to actually be critical consumers and really be able to not be overwhelmed by data, but instead really be in control of the information that is coming at them. So I first met Tommy while visiting Alto University in Helsinki. Now, he's going to talk more about Alto, but they just celebrated their 10-year anniversary of merging together the three major Finnish universities. The goal behind this was really to try to create a more multidisciplinary environment where they could really help their students foster innovation and creativity and just prepare them for the world that they were about to enter. Like last week's guest, Matthew, Tommy also is both a professor and a practitioner at the intersection of design, technology, innovation, and entrepreneurship. He's also the coordinator for Alto Online Learning, a strategic development project at Alto University. He's also the co-host of a podcast called Cloud Reachers, and he is regularly invited to deliver keynotes across the world. And so I really could not be more honored to have him here today with all of us. I'm so excited to hear what you guys think about the conversation and the incredible ideas that Tommy's about to share. So don't forget to tag us online. Let us know what you're thinking, what you enjoyed, and what questions you still have. So here we go, everyone. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Tommy Kopinan. 
Hi, Tommy, and welcome. I really enjoyed my visit to the design factory at Alto University. And what I actually really enjoyed more was just your enthusiasm around the presentation of your ideas and your work. So I would love if we could start by just sort of sharing the story of Alto and the work that you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, big thanks for visiting us. So, um, because I mean, it's all about people. What I mean, we believe in uh, working with people, collaboration, communication, that's the key. And uh, of course, uh, it's not in the university boundaries, right? Within the university boundaries. So it's, it's very nice to um, exchange thoughts with the, uh, you know, other people, uh, especially, I mean, enthusiastic uh, people like you and uh, all your group of students. So, um, so um, if I tell about Alto Online Learning uh, or Alto? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, definitely. I would yeah. love for people to learn about Alto and sort of just the vision yeah. that the university has. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so we are um, quite young university. It's nine years old, basically. <laughs> um, we will have a ten years anniversary, January eighth, mm. next year. Uh, we are now, uh, you know, preparing it. I'm also uh, part of the um, uh, planning. Uh, I mean, organizing a committee for it. Um, why did it? Uh, why is it a new university? Well, there was. Um, time like 11, 12 years ago when uh, these three universities, one business university, then technical university, and then arts and design university, uh, they decided to merge. Um, there was a government uh, was very much pushing for it and asking them to merge. And then they said that, okay, well, if you merge, we will double your budget. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, and uh, why, why was this um, merger even happening? Well, because, um, I mean, of great success stories when you combine design and technology and business together, some things might happen, right? I mean, something interesting might happen. And uh, we now start seeing that some things actually happen. So it's, uh, it's very um, interdisciplinary or transdisciplinary university, I would say. I mean, if you look at my information visualization course, I have students from business, I have students from arts, actually more and more from arts. <laughs> also from science, different engineering fields. So it actually works. No, and that's great. And I want to dig in a little bit more to how the government supported you a little bit later on. But I'd love to also have you kind of share your specific role at Alto and what you're doing there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I'm, um, my background is uh, in media technology. So I did my PhD in media technology. And also I'm a docent, which doesn't mean anything in, uh, abroad. But uh, it's, it's kind of professorship without the professorship. Okay. Right, so it's a it's kind of a, it's a qualification for um, teaching. It's a right to teach. It's a right to do research. Okay, and is that something specific to Finland? Uh, it's a Finland thing. It's also you you see it in Germany, Privatdozent, okay. and um, also Norwegian countries, Sweden, Norway. Oh, okay. So it's kind of European thingy. Okay. I mean, I would. I I think the rules are from Germany. I would guess. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that my but my um. So that's one thing, uh, and I'm using my docentship to teach and do okay. research. But then also I'm leading uh, Alto Online Learning, which is the strategic initiative uh, starting uh, started um, 
2016 to create you know online learning experiences throughout the university yeah. so it's a it's rather a big investment by the university um yeah to bring us to the top <laughs> yeah no that's fantastic and, yeah. and what are some of the things that you mean when you say bring us to the top like why is the government so invested in creating this yeah. environment at the university yeah well um i mean you know nokia Nokia is, uh, has, I mean, it was the, it was literally the biggest mobile phone company in the world, right? And uh, it was, uh, it was very much a kind of example that other companies was also uh, kind of following. So when you combine design, business, and technology together, then you know things might happen. So, so the government really wanted that there will be small Nokia's coming up. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, when we educate. Um, uh, people also another big motivation was to educate game changers. So, as we see, societies and the environment is is changing so rapidly. I mean, we need to both change the way businesses are operating and what kind of products should be put out there. I mean, more sustainable thinking, creative thinking. It's it's also new kind of skills that you need. More collaborative. Um, I mean. Kind of bringing different disciplines together, and uh, one started uh, right from the studies. <laughs> right, 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 absolutely. So, yeah. So, what are some? I, uh, yeah. Oh no, I was gonna say, what are some of the things that you see? Like, what is that like for your students? Are, are they used to those kinds of environments? Like, what are some of the things you're seeing happen there? Yeah, well, uh, I think it's fantastic. For, I mean, for a teacher, but also for a student. Um, I remember when I was uh, studying computer science at the University of Helsinki, and uh, I thought it was so kind of boring. I mean, it was kind of easy and boring. <laughs> so then I started to study film theory and photography, philosophy, all other sorts of things, business as well. And then that led me to uh, work at the companies. And now if I look at our own students, uh, I think they get kind of this more easily. So they don't, I mean, they get kind of uh, all these opportunities right in the same university, in the same curricula. So um, so they seem to be enjoying. Of course, I mean, it's always if you face uh, different kind of people, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's also creating tension. It's also creating... Um, you know, misunderstandings and misconceptions about how things should go on. So it's, uh, it's more and more questions, uh, I would say, this kind of system is raising in the, in the heads of students. That's why we have to be also, um, I think, more and more empathical and also, um, also um, understand kind of, I mean, <laughs> not, not, um, not introduce competitive cultures too much but collaborative cultures. Yeah, and, and I think that's a really big shift for the world today is to move away from being competitive towards more yeah. collaborative. And so, yeah, yeah and that's a great opportunity for your students. And so I want to, you shared a little bit about your background with computer science and the film and the arts. And I know information visualization is a huge passion um, of yours yeah. and really a research yeah. interest more. Um, tell us a little bit, what is information visualization? Yeah, so um, information visualization is um, is a way to communicate something about the world. So if you look at data, what is data really? It's observations. 
think about it. I mean, it's uh, it's observations by some person, observations by some organization. I mean, group of people or some technical sensors. There is something, whatever it is, that is observing the world. It's observing the environment. It's observing how organizations are doing, how we are <laughs> going around in the social media. I mean, that's right. observation. So all this data is out there. It's so much data. <laughs> it's, it's increasing so rapidly. And uh, yet, how do we understand what is going on? How do we make sense of all this data? First of all, how do we bring it to the information level where it's, um, I mean, as usable as it, as it can be, I mean, so that we can actually use that information. And I believe that information visualization is a way to find out interesting stories in this information. And, uh, and then we can either remember better what has happened, or we can decide what to do, or we can even learn something. And I think these three are really different things. I mean, sometimes you remember something, but you didn't really learn anything. Right. <laughs> you know, or you uh, use the information uh, to make fast decisions. Uh, for example, like book a hotel, and but you don't really, you know, right. even remember or learn anything. You just make the decision. Information helps you to make the decision. And I think the key there is uh, storytelling. I would say, and uh, you know, my to, how how did I? get interested in it. I was, when I was a child, I was reading a lot of books. I was, uh, we had a huge library and I was also uh, running small film clubs, also at the University, a big film club. <laughs> and I was, uh, I was taking film theory classes and history of film classes. We had a studio, photography studio at home as well. So actually black in dark room. So we were developing uh, photos uh, with my brother. So all of this is kind of combining together. And then also, of course, I was doing multimedia for five years in companies. So it's, yeah, all of this is kind of <laughs> coming together in the, in the information visualization course and, and research. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's really my passion. Yeah, and, and I think it's so interesting how you have all of these interests, you know, over time and they kind of merge together and become yeah. a profession. Yeah. And I think that is yeah. a goal for so many people. Um, tell us a little bit more about the relationship between storytelling and information visualization. Yeah, so uh, if you look at the, how best stories are built, so, um, so there are a few things. So first of all, everything happens in some space and time, right? And then what is this everything? It's about something, right? So there's some theme, some topic. So um, what I'm teaching in the course and also what I really believe in it, we should always uh, try to look, okay, what is happening? Where it is happening and when is it happening? So when we look at data, information that we want to visualize, Kind of trying to find what is the place there not just space but what is the place something that makes sense something that has a meaning um, and then also when does it happen and then what is happening <laughs> what is going on right and uh, with place i mean like uh, like really trying to find some meaningful places not like looking at some specific coordinate i mean that doesn't tell anything right, right. what what is the bigger region is this 
story about this house. So something is happening in this house, right? So lights are going on or whatever is the observation. And then also when. I mean, it's, if you're talking about microseconds, perhaps that is not, you know, interesting. But like, you know, in the morning, in the house, um, lights went on, right? So this is the observation we have. And then we can look at this data and make a story, like when something's happened in this house over time. And then, of course, you can start bringing characters there as well. Like, okay, well, lights went on. There must be a person there. I mean, it, there must be somebody living there. So let's look at the different interesting patterns. So this guy seems to, uh, or his family seems to uh, wake up every day at around 8 o'clock, right? So it's, you start creating these story elements um, to, I mean, convey basically uh, what is going on, what is happening. And this is what you can do very powerfully with animations, with uh, something happening over time and um, explain what is, what is going on, basically, what is going on in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so interesting, you know, because storytelling has always been such an important part. It's really been a part of human history from the beginning yeah. of time. And absolutely. It, it, it's interesting to see, like, though, this, the ways in which we can tell stories, though, has evolved so much and become yeah. so much yeah. more advanced, but also probably a lot more necessary, not just, and I think a lot yeah. of people think storytelling is only just for marketing, you know, or yeah. brands or companies. Yeah. Can you talk yeah. a little bit more about why it's important for individuals, for students, really for everybody to be able to master? Yeah, well, uh, first of all, um, there are stories around. So, I mean, the stories are a way for us to make sense of what is going on anyways without data as well. I mean, think about it. I mean, you go, or go, go out, then you see something interesting happening and then you like okay why why is this car going around there all ah, right okay it's the repair repair company ordered by my neighbor uh, she was take, talking about it uh, the other day right so you create a story about it you see some something happening in the world so you create a story the thing is that um, that nowadays i mean if i mean we are anyways we are creating a story ourselves but it's also Others are creating stories. They are creating narratives. I mean, politicians, <laughs> companies, <laughs> I mean, advertising, for advertising. I mean, it's so many stories. So I think we should be really, really talented in creating stories and also interpreting these stories and also interpreting the, kind of the uh, motivation for different stories that are around in order to uh, make sense of what is really going on and also make more informed uh, decisions ourselves because otherwise you know we are basically manipulated <laughs> uh, no absolutely and i, I want to go a little bit deeper with you on that because it's probably one of the best ways i've ever heard anybody speak about critical thinking you know we know today that we have an information literacy problem we know yeah. today yeah. that we have a fake news problem it's one of the biggest challenges of our time and I love that you make this association between the importance of people creating stories so that you can be able to understand really how those yeah, stories are yeah, put together and yeah. how they're being told. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about the relationship between critical thinking and storytelling? Yeah. So um, so let me give you an example. We did uh, in the space session, the Places and Spaces uh, session uh, two weeks ago, 
um, I asked uh, students to look at different viral maps. So maps that are around, right? I mean, somebody has created a map and then showing like, hey, look at there. I mean, these uh, states, for example, in the US, they voted like this, right? With colors and communicating and basically a story of what happened. And then um, we were, I mean, all the students scattered a lot of super interesting examples. Then we were looking at them and looking at, okay, what is this story here? What is, what do we understand kind of immediately? And then, of course, we were analyzing, is this story real? <laughs> <laughs> is it really something? Uh, so, um, so uh, you see, like, like first of all, uh, looking at like, okay, what is this story there? And then critically uh, analyzing this story, does it really make sense? Is there some data? What are these observations uh, that this visualization is based on? First of all, are these observations real? I mean, did somebody really have these observations, this data? And if even if yes, then how colors were used to perhaps, you know, kind of exaggerate some things? Okay, yeah. Right. To make this story more powerful. Because the, the kind of the both the power and problem with visualization is that people believe in them. Because I mean, I mean, think about fireside chat. Right. I mean, it's I mean our history. I mean, you talk about history, right? So history is I mean, it's it's essentially how we understand, anyways, about what is going on. It's it's based on the long tradition of these fireside chats, right? right? So we have a fire going on, then people tell a story about like what they did observe today, or they went for. A, trip and then they came back and then they share a story. So it's all about storytelling. Now, the big question is, uh, I mean, uh, I mean, can, can we, I mean, which stories are fictional? Right. <laughs> which stories are something that we should, uh, you know, use for our decision making or, you know, learn something from or even just remember? Yeah, and I think that there's so many like ethical issues I feel like yeah. come up along yeah. with something yeah. like this as well because you know everybody sort of has an agenda, everybody sort of has a motive. Doesn't necessarily mean it has to be a bad motive, but everybody no, always no. has some kind of agenda or a bias that they're trying to put forth or yeah. a point of view really in wanting to yeah. tell a story. Yeah, exactly. Can you talk a little bit about the ethics behind that? Like, how do we decide who gets to decide? How do we help people discern the difference between them? Yeah, I mean, let me give you also an example. So uh, in the uh, one of the presentation session, one, one student was showing a map. I mean, this was after the viral map session. So um, the student was showing a map. Uh, it was um, showing um, kind of illegal immigration uh, data on a map. And uh, then we were criticizing, asking, okay, is it really, really that big difference between countries in Europe? And then the student answered, okay, well, yeah, I mean, um, I didn't see that much difference, so I, I decided to intensify the colors a bit <laughs> to make it more clear, the differences. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> and I, I really saw a kind of moment um, in, the, in the eyes of students. They really mm -hmm. super well realized that, okay, well, this is how it happens. So, you know, even if the person doesn't have any bad intentions or anything, but it's just, you know, 
intensify this story, like tell a better story. So even without any bad will or anything, it just happens because people want to tell stories. <laughs> so uh, so there is a lot of ethics there. And um, I would say that, I mean, this is exactly um, the um, big motivation for us to learn these things, because if we don't learn, then we take everything as granted, right? So we don't think about the think about things uh, critically and also um, perhaps we cannot teach others how to, you know, right. how to look at the ethics side as well. Right? Yeah. And yeah. I, I really believe that like, it's really through the creation or the learning by doing, you know, like you were talking earlier, there's yeah. different ways to learn yeah. things. I really believe that like when you, when you learn, when you're doing something, you're creating something, you have those aha moments, like the ones that yeah. you just described <laughs> your students having, yeah. you know, yeah. um, what would you say to somebody who maybe is afraid of data or afraid of not being able to put together a story um, in the quote unquote right way, you know, as they see advertised to them? What, what, would, you, what would you say is a great starting place for somebody who maybe is not as confident in their ability to tell stories? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, well, I think the key question is what is happening? When is it happening? Where is it happening? Like really looking at this and uh, first, um, first perhaps uh, taking the, some interesting observations, some, some data. I mean, well, I mean, to really start, I mean, like looking at, okay, what are you interested in? I mean, this is, what, this is one of my first questions to students. Uh, quite often they, they say, well, I, I don't know what I should do and uh, how should I do it? But then when we start, like, what are you interested in? What is, what is the um, thing that you want to uh, understand yourself? It can be about environment, about like, like is this phenomenon related to this phenomenon? It can be, you know, something that is truly interesting to them. It can be football. It can be, I mean, basically anything to start with or music. And, um, and uh, then, um, then the next thing is to start looking at some, some data. Um, and then simply uh, using very simple uh, visualizations, like let's put this all this data to timeline or to maps or to uh, different kind of networks, you know, like histograms. I mean, anything that can start giving you some clue about where to look at. And then all the time asking like, what is happening? <laughs> when does it happen? Is there some change over time, right, in the data? Um, is there some, uh, you know, something that um, kind of gives you a, a hint that, okay, where, where is this story and what kind of story can you tell about it? And then, uh, then one nice practice is um, really to uh, show all these visualizations to others and then have like three minutes. You have three minutes to tell a story with these visualizations, right? And then they're like, okay, yeah, okay, well... Well, I don't know what is going on here. Well, perhaps we can see some things like, like it seems that, you know, this drink has been bought more than this one. And then somebody asks, yeah, is there, I mean, how about last year? Ah, yeah, yeah, I didn't actually realize. Yeah, it was, yeah, last year it was the other way. Ah, yeah, actually, that's a good point. So there's a story in everything. Also, when you start putting more data, more observations, then you might able to make a better story and I would say uh, the best story is uh, something that happens really somewhere 
at some point and it's you know something is actually happening i mean that we can say what is happening what is changing absolutely do you, do you feel like people interpret information better when things are visual um they interpret them faster okay okay faster yeah so it's uh it's like i mean look at our history <laughs> we we are so used to uh go around in the jungle or in the forest and, and, you know, look for movement. I mean, because that's how our ancestors survived. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so we see movement. We see, uh, we see also things that are not the same as yesterday. So we see the change. So not movement just in that, that you know, like short period of time, but also movement um, kind of uh, over a longer time. So, uh, so I mean that's that's something that we understand. We also understand stories. We also create stories. We see a lion there. We create a story. Ah, oh, that's the same lion as yesterday, <laughs> but it's a different place. Whoa, 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 whoa! I mean, so I should really think like where to go next. So this is the key. I mean, obviously, of course, uh, text is visual as well. I mean, so it, I mean it's a way, of course, to um, store what we have been seeing and all these stories that to. To, um, to our um, descendants. But, uh, I mean, visuals are very, very, very powerful. Yeah, so. absolutely. I think, you know, listening to you speak also makes me realize that going through this process and being more aware of the stories that we're not just the ones we're telling others, but the stories we tell ourselves as well about our own self-confidence, our own, you know, motivations to do certain things or our own abilities to do certain things yeah. i wonder do you do you feel like this process could help people become more self-aware about yeah. wow this is Absolutely. a story i'm telling myself because this is something i saw and i made this association here yeah yeah absolutely absolutely i mean um you know this um lot of movement towards um kind of tracking your all your i mean you are running somewhere and tracking like how you, how you are performing and um, and uh, being able to um, analyze all this data, or what did you do, and 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 really create a story that is based on some actual observations, some some I mean uh, real observations. I think it would uh, it would really help we to understand ourselves also, mm -hmm. learn how we are. So, and this is of course uh, important if you want to change something. Let's say we want to, we think that okay, we are thinking very sustainably, right? But what if we look at our data and then we look like how how do we shop? <laughs> and uh, what if we get like the actual story behind the? So, I mean, does this make perhaps us to change our behavior yeah. more or? Uh, compared to us telling us ourselves like uh, like a worse story absolutely like, uh, like uh, some story that doesn't is not based on yeah. based on actual observations absolutely and i think today especially today when people are looking to create lives that have more purpose and they're trying to create different career paths and you're trying to be more creative i think being able yeah. to understand those different data points and those different stories that either you're hearing from somebody else that you subconsciously may have got from an environment um, yeah. you know, aware or not aware that you receive that information is so, so, so important. That's a yeah. great connection I just made right now hearing you um, yeah. talk about yeah. that. 
I really like uh, your question and uh, topic because it, it came to uh, make me think about also challenges that we are facing. Right. So, I mean, quite often people think of challenges as, as problems, I mean, like bigger problems that you cannot really solve. But how about thinking them uh, from the story point of view? I mean, in all better stories, there are some challenges. Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, think about a book or a movie where the people didn't have any challenges right. whatsoever. I mean, a boring story. <laughs> super boring, right, exactly. So, I mean, if I think about uh, my story of my study, studies, I mean, I... I, I felt that it was kind of a challenge that um, the computer science was so boring. And when I started to study film theory and theoretical philosophy, many of my students and professors said that, okay, Tom, you're absolutely crazy. <laughs> Nobody does that. <laughs> you know? I mean, there is no use of philosophy or film theory whatsoever because you are a computer scientist. So they were trying to create an identity. I mean, me to create an identity that I didn't want to create. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I thought it was super challenging because I had to all the time uh, like share like my motivation, why I'm doing it. And of course, while doing it, I, I realized that I'm creating all the time a better story of like how things connect to each other. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. So, yeah. And, and I think, you know, that's one of the things that people, people talk so much, you know, about, I think a lot of times kids and people, you need to be more resilient. You need to have grit. Yeah. You need to, you know, be all of these things, but nobody really ever teaches you. Okay. But how, right? What are the small steps that I take to actually build that skill set? And I think this idea of storytelling as a way of being able to become more self-aware so that you can see challenges as exciting points in your story, yeah. you know, yeah. that you then becomes more interesting versus yeah. overwhelming or depressing. And so I think that can be a really great way to help people maybe reframe some of those ways of thinking. Yeah, excellent point, excellent point. And also, I also think like, well, how do you learn? Well, if not through challenges, then how? I mean, <laughs> right. You don't really understand something like, okay, well, why why is this so? Perhaps you have to, or it, it's an opportunity to learn. Right? Absolutely. So challenges are more like opportunities rather than just challenges. Absolutely, absolutely. I love I, I love that idea of thinking of challenges as opportunities. So thinking of like, you know, speaking of challenges, some of the greatest challenges I feel like that we have today, whether it's artificial intelligence, whether it's climate change, whether it's immigration is a big one. Um, a lot of them, I feel like people have a really hard time contextualizing. People have a really hard time understanding, especially climate change. You know, if, if it's not directly affecting you in that moment, people have a hard time understanding why they should be advocating for certain policies and so whatnot. What role do you see information visualization playing in helping people address some of these broader global challenges that may affect me in the moment, but may affect me 10 years from now, but I still should be proactive? Yeah, yeah. So, um, like we were talking about uh, data as observations, so we have a lot of observations about temperature, for example. We have also a lot of observations of like how different countries are um, creating emissions. I mean, carbon dioxide emissions. Um, so, 
and then we are talking about storytelling. So I, I truly believe that um, that it would help, or it will help, or it already helps perhaps uh, to take all this data together and then find ways to create stories that make sense, where also people can relate themselves, their own actions to that story. They can see that, oh yeah, okay, I didn't know that it's like double uh, amount of uh, carbon dioxide emissions I, I I kind of create with my actions if I eat meat, right? Right. So kind of seeing their part in the story and then also seeing uh, different um, countries uh, developing from, uh, you know, not uh, creating any emissions, I mean, almost no emissions at right. all, to um, through, um, you know, car driving, meat eating, <laughs> Look at China, for example. It's been a <laughs> tremendous uh, path, um, um, and it, it's also all of the uh, storytelling. I have to say, I mean, there is uh, there is fantastic. You know, Hans Rosling, Capminder, um, he um, he created a um, very nice way to visualize. Uh, I think uh, he's one of these famous uh, visualizations, health and wealth of nations. Okay. I'll, I'll share you the okay, link. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So, so you can uh, you can clearly see um, how the uh, how the countries are moving over time. In the there is the life expectancy and then also the GDP, how much money they make. Okay. So they can clearly you can clearly see how countries are moving. Some countries, of course, more towards the right upper corner. Right. So people live longer and then also on average they make uh, more money. Wow. Okay. So. And uh, one of my students I did um, for the class uh, visualization of uh, looking at uh, similarly of, of countries and then uh, how much they are emitting and then also um, how much they are, what is their GDP. Okay. And uh, it's interesting to see the path, basically. Right. Um, I mean, think about path. It's also really, really nice metaphor. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> so, yeah. Because you, you walk in the forest and then you see, okay, well, look at this path. They must, this must be made by some animal or by, you know, competing tribe. Right. So it's all these metaphors that we can also use, also use in the, in the visualizations. Right. I would say um, bringing more these, uh, this, these metaphors that we already understand uh, to people uh, would greatly support them to understand, okay, well, they are on this track. I mean, do they want to keep on this track and kind of see that, okay, well, ice is melting here and there, so do, I mean, and that is causing this and these problems, really storifying all the actions. I mean, longer answer. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, I I like it. Like I said, I've never really heard anyone articulate this idea as well as, you know, you have. So I really appreciate you taking the time to expand. Um, I I wanted to ask you, when people think about artificial intelligence and like the kinds of work that machines will be doing, but the kinds of skills that humans will need, where do you see information visualization falling on that spectrum? Yeah, so... um, AI um, obviously is, uh, is is being used to automate quite a few of our things. Um, the interesting um, question is whether it should be automating thinking, you know, learning. I mean, should we give all the learning to machines? So let's about let's think about spatial information. Do we let AI to learn about 
everything, you know, all the navigations and everything, and we don't learn that at all. Or do we still want to visualize um, what is going on and also uh, kind of navigate ourselves through the different uh, paths or stories? I mean, it can be also in, in an urban era and so on. So, so I believe that um, visualization plays a huge role there. Also, if you look at AI, so perhaps, uh, I mean, there is these estimations that we don't have to work anymore that much. Of course, that's, that promise has been around for quite some time. <laughs> also, look at the, the industrial uh, automation. So, um, so, but if, well, if it's true, so what if we have more time to, you know, be with stories, uh, trying to understand what is going on and, and make decisions of what the AI is doing. Um, if we don't do it, if we don't ourselves try to understand what is going on, machine will do it. Right. Look at all these recommendation systems. I mean, it's actually our valuable time. Look at some, I mean, video sharing platform <laughs> you go to. It's, go, it's giving you some recommendations what to look. Right. So, and then it's based on data. So they show certain kind of, you know, recommendations and they don't show it by accident because they have evidence that if they show this one here, people will look at it. They will actually spend 10 minutes of their time to look at it. So, um, I mean, what if we don't ask AI to visualize the decisions like, okay, well, okay, now you want me to look at this video. Why? Why are you doing it? I mean, do you want me to spend like 10 minutes on <laughs> <laughs> looking at that video? <laughs> or, I mean, what is going on, right? I mean, communicate, communicate, visualize. Why are you doing it? I want to see this data. What kind of data have you, uh, you know, obs I mean, what kind of observations have you made about myself? Right. I want to see it. I, I don't want to see just the raw data. I want to see a visual story and where do I fit there? How does watching this video help sustainability? I mean, because it's uh, it's using a lot of uh, energy. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, so, no, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that's a really important point when we talk about like, are you a passive consumer or an active consumer? You know, yeah. I think when you yeah. have so much information coming at you from every angle and it's so tailored to your needs and to what it is you like already, and it knows that about you, you have to be, again, it goes back to that self-awareness for me, that really understanding this is why this is happening in this time, in this space, and what consciously making a decision about what you want that yeah. choice to be. Yeah, yeah. And think about visualization in a way that um, I'm using them uh, with my with my students a lot, so um, so uh, to find out where we should look at uh, when building some AI. So uh, let's let me give you an example. Let's say uh, we want to create a course recommendation system, which we actually created last spring. Okay. So with my AI student, um, so the best students can choose who to work with, and our, our best AI student uh, chose me, which I was oh. so <laughs> yeah. So actually, the department had to pay her as well uh, for the work so I didn't have to find out the fun okay it's very nice but um, how we started it we just created we gathered a lot of data 
and then we visualized it and then tried to see, okay, well, if we want to create an AI, what kind of AI do we want to build? So, because you can, you, you can think of like, okay, well, let's create a recommendation engine that is always recommending similar kind of courses. And, uh, but what is the point of that? By visualization, you might see that, okay, well, they are, you know, groups of, they are clusters of different courses. Uh, by colors, for example, by space, like how to organize them in a space. And then when creating the AI, you can decide that, okay, well, we want to create an AI that is creating a nice kind of um, very interdisciplinary recommendation, set of recommendations, rather than always recommending similar kind of things. How typically recommendations engines are working, they are always recommending only similar kind of stuff. Right. So you look at the, those videos, <laughs> whatever is those videos, and then next day you get those videos again. Again, right. So, right. So, but I, I truly believe that when, when you create a visualization and then you create a story, like what kind of story I want to tell here with this visualization, that might also help you to understand what kind of AI do you want to build so that people will use their valuable time with that they are. Absolutely. It's a lot of values as well. Yeah, and, and you know, actually, it's interesting that you mentioned this idea of values because if there was one thing that I took back from our trip to Finland, it was the yeah. idea that you, it is such a value-driven culture, you know, and, and people talk so much about, like, you know, the Simon Sinek's, the start with why, like, that, that idea is just so popular but I don't think I've ever been in a place where you felt the values, whether it was the government, whether it was the public library, whether it was an elementary school, secondary school, university, startup company. It didn't matter where you were. Those values were really, really kind of um, uh, believed by, sort of believed in by everyone. Mm. Hey, your LinkedIn uh, article was fantastic. Oh, I mean, thank you. Yeah, yeah, I think it was. I learned a lot about Finland by just reading them. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I no, I, I really enjoyed my trip there. I have lots more to write, but I was taking time to really reflect and kind of get all of that out. But speaking of this idea of having a value-driven society or even just this work that you're doing with your students and the kinds of things you're teaching them, um, reminds me of the name of your podcast, Cloud Reachers. Tell yeah. us a little bit about that name and about the podcast. Yeah, so... Um, so, uh, like one year ago, summertime, I mean, one and a half years ago already, I heard this sentence uh, quite often in Alto. So, uh, the sentence goes like this. So, oh, nobody's doing podcast here in Alto. And look at other universities. Many, you know, academics are doing a podcast about education, about research and so on. It's like, okay, wow. Okay, now next week we start doing a podcast. So, I, you know, I... I, I'm not a big fan of like complaining and blaming and this kind of, I'm a big fan of uh, like looking at opportunities and then doing things. I mean, doing like next day or immediately. So then I teamed up with uh, Mika Lehton and our uh, business school teacher who is now in, in Dubai, moved out to Dubai in August uh, to teach there in design school and um, decided uh, that, okay, well, let's do a podcast season one, 10 episodes, Let's do it in a, as a proper media production. I mean, I've done some media <laughs> before as well, so it's not a big deal. 
So I made it like a checklist, okay, what to do, visuals, and you like the concept and so on. Then I was thinking about the name. I was really thinking, okay, yeah, well, something, something that doesn't exist. Well, how do you create something that doesn't exist? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's kind of, um, it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of interesting because I was looking at, uh, I was thinking, okay, well, we want to talk about dreams, about future, about online. Then I was thinking about, okay, what are the metaphors out there? Well, cloud. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at the sky. I was like, okay, well, cloud. I mean, it's kind of reaching, you know, out something that is not really reachable, but you are still doing it. You are creating these ladders and, you know, to reach out the cloud. It was okay, cloud reacher. Then I was Googling, like, okay, is this even a word? <laughs> <laughs> so it seems that uh, nobody was using it. .com address was also free. Oh, wow. I found, like, uh, was it the student group or something like that in UK was using it, like, cloud reachers or something like that. But that, that was the only one uh, I found. And then I quickly registered the address. <laughs> And then asked my assistant to create the visuals, and uh, which she did fantastically. And uh, and then we started recording. That is fantastic. Okay, so I have to. I have like one. You just reminded me of one more question. So your name, Cloud Reachers, and just the way you talk about creating the podcast. And you said this. You said this a little bit earlier. I forget exactly what you said, but this idea: if you're going to do something, do it quickly. And I remember yeah. during your presentation, and that was the number one question I asked you after was like, yeah. how are you able to move so fast through all of these different things that you're creating? Because that idea of learning from failure, I think has such a, a different connotation. The, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to, you know, completely fall flat on your face, right? It no. really, I think, I think, yeah. I think you're, it's you, what you're doing is so exemplary of the idea of learning from failure. Can you talk yeah, a little yeah. bit about your belief of iteration and moving quickly and why that's so important? Yeah, well, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of because I, I really believe that uh, it's not healthy to be in the complaining or blaming mode, like to see that, think that everything is impossible. I don't think that is healthy for right. one person or for the organization. Oh, absolutely. I think it's, it's super unhealthy. So what is the alternative? Alternative is to um, look at these challenges as opportunities. Look at, okay, well, well, let's, let's look. I mean, nobody's doing it. How about I do it? <laughs> how about I, I really, I, I just do it. So how to do it? Well, uh, how about teaming up? How about saying that, okay, well, I don't do anything alone, which is true. I mean, I do nothing alone. So I always want to team up also with Mika, my co-host. So uh, he was saying first that, okay, yeah, you, I mean, you, I mean, I'm supporting you, but do it yourself. I mean, you are the host, right? And I said, no, it's not okay. I mean, I want to have like a democratic system where we are co-hosts. No, you know, like two co-hosts. And then let's have always uh, interesting uh, guests. Um, so not like monotonous podcast, <laughs> <laughs> which some people, of course, are doing. So always inter interesting conversation. Right. And, you know, let's just do it. Let's record like next week um, our first session, which we did uh, with Mika. So um, I talked to people. I said that, okay, we have this idea. And then I found... Um, one studio that we are using our um, for actually movies. So 
movies come there, they rent that studio in our university. Okay. And and make sounds essentially. So you see, for example, in a movie, when when you hear somebody's uh, walking, I mean, it's not really him or her walking, okay. but it's uh, it's it's made in a studio. So some professional is is walking at the same time. Okay. So we went to this kind of studio, and then we did the first recording, and then um, then we started to gather guests. You know, just sending emails. In Twitter, I got um, I volunteered to. Um, uh, listened to audiobook by Laura Kalbach from Ireland. Okay. Uh, she had made an audiobook on accessibility and she was asking for volunteers. I volunteered and then I gave feedback about the audiobook and then uh, she appreciated it. And then I said, Hey, by the way, uh, we are starting this podcast. How about making an <laughs> episode on accessibility? Which we did. So, kind of always looking at this, um, you know, chances of, of you know, kind of bringing anything that you do otherwise well like to your new creation right which doesn't yet kind of exist i mean absolutely no absolutely and and i love so like i was you know and i think the advice really is in the story you know you break down that you just start with that step one and it just evolves to step two and step three and step four but you have to take that first step um yeah You talk a lot about this idea between cooperation um, versus competitiveness. What is a piece of advice you would give to somebody who is having a hard time making that mindset shift? Because, you know, traditional school, the way most people have gone through, teaches you that really only a few people can be the winners. That there really are, like, we don't live in a world of co-hosts. That's not what this, yeah. you know, the system sort of teaches you. But to yeah. really be successful, you have to adopt that mindset. What is a yeah. piece of advice you would give to somebody who struggles with understanding that? Um, well, um, you know, many things distance uh, create distance between people. And money is one thing. I mean... Daniel Kahneman, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow, uh, right. I mean, the Nobel Prize winner right. uh, for uh, economics, uh, um, had has an interesting uh, example where he had kind of a one setting, like a room, and asked people to organize two chairs to have a chat. Uh, he had um, only one difference between the groups. So in one setting, he had a screensaver in a monitor in the corner of the room where he had this flying money screensaver. And for the other group, it was just black. Okay. So those who had the black screen, they had um, the chairs, I think, uh, on average in 80 centimeter distance. And those with the money, they had one meter, 20 centimeters distance. I mean, for the chairs. Okay. I don't know what it says in US units, but anyway, it's, yeah. a, it's a considerable change. So the... the the problem of money is that it's, it's really creating distance and competitive, competitiveness. So, um, for example, in Alto Online Learning, what I started to do when we started, I didn't ask for funding or funded proposals, proposal uh, applications. I asked it for um, idea proposals. Okay. So my big advice would be to, uh, instead of... Uh, bringing money uh, to the um, discussion or different point systems and different kind of, you know, where it's like competitive um, scales, uh, instead ask for ideas. 
And then, then um, like looking at how these ideas can be perhaps combined. I mean, oh, right. how, how to collaborate around ideas. And then, of course, you need money as well at some point. You need all this other <laughs> stuff. But then kind of bring the um, money only after there is a collaboration. Absolutely. So start with the idea generation first and yeah. the collaboration yeah, exactly. around ideas. Exactly. And then... And yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, look at the... Um, I mean, in, in uh, I'm sure it's, it's the same in the U.S., but in EU we have funding for universities and, uh, and uh, I mean, people are competing for them like, <laughs> like crazy. <laughs> and then only so few can actually get right. it and everybody else get the rejection. Right. So why don't we... I know that it's impossible to fund everything, and but, I mean, why don't we kind of look for more for ideas and, and absolutely kind of yeah because, you know sometimes the true value is not really to get you know that funding or the first place it is to be able to share that your dream or your idea with the other person absolutely and really make an impact right so that yeah. your idea touches yeah. more and more and more people Oh, wow. What a fantastic conversation. To wrap up, I would love to have you share, if you were a student today, what are some of the things you would be doing or focusing on? Um, I, would, um, I would look at, um, I mean, there, there is this uh, four Cs. I mean, critical thinking, communication, uh, creativity, and um, Wait a minute. Communication, creativity, critical thinking, and collaboration. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so, and um, I was, I would uh, really look at them, and then uh, when I'm kind of creating my my study path, um, I would uh, I would very widely look at different courses around the university to kind of help me to to learn these four C's, uh, plus perhaps empathy and uh, and. Uh, and understanding of, of AI, understanding of storytelling and so on. So um, I wouldn't really still believe in like like uh, one ready-made curriculum, but um, I would think uh, of um, life and, and study life as, as an opportunity to create my own personal story or perhaps with another person or a group of people uh, and... Um, yeah, that's so. I would actually do the same as I did. Back. <laughs> same as you did. Yeah, you were ahead of your time. <laughs> that's fantastic. Anything you would like to share about where people can find you and where people can learn more about the work that you're doing? Yeah. So I mean, I have the podcast Cloud Reaches. Then I have also recorded this information visualization um, podcasts uh, that I'm using in the in the. Um, in my course here and also now in, in Germany. Then, of course, by email, by Twitter, I have the Liget Science uh, account. I have I miss a Twitter account, uh, Liget Science. And um, then also uh, just by this kind of conversation. So I'm, I'm going uh, to quite a few places. I'm going to Bergen again to Visual Pedagogy uh, Conference to give a keynote uh, next summer. And also I've seen one to Leibniz uh, just recently. And uh, so I, I go to places and also uh, I have done also some uh, uh, invited talks and keynotes by this kind of I mean, two more oh, Skype wow. 
way. So this is also uh, an option. So you know, and I'm, I've been also guest in in different podcasts as well. Uh, so uh, what was the recent one? Yeah, and KTH uh, they have a podcast, so I was guest there uh, talking about information visualization. Mm-hmm. I can share that podcast as well. That would so, be great. Share all those links, and then I will um, link them in the show notes so that everybody can find you and they can learn more. Because I think the way you talk about information visualization and articulate that idea is just very clear and very easy to understand and definitely something that we need to be talking about more. So thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed yeah. my conversation with you. Yeah, thanks, Saba. This is this is a true pleasure, and it was nice to meet you now and, of course, back then in Design Factory. Looking forward to the next opportunity to meet Me here too. or there or, I mean... <laughs> or anywhere in the world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Awesome. Thank you so much. Of all the places I visited to learn about how countries are thinking and responding to change, our trip to Helsinki and Finland will forever remain one of the most memorable and inspirational. If you want to learn more about my experience there, you can head to my Instagram and check out some of the highlights, or you can head to my blog at askmissq.com, and I've written a couple of articles about our experience and the different visits that we did while there. As someone who believes in the power of design and empathy, it was just really incredible to see what the possibilities are when you don't just practice this as an individual or as a business, but you really begin to practice design and empathy as a country. Everything about Finland was so human-centered, and it was just really evident that above all else, they really valued the interests and just the happiness of their people. So it's really no surprise when year after year, they're constantly ranked as the number one happiest country in the world. For the Finnish, what really made them unique in being able to, I think, achieve this was that for them, every single challenge was phrased not as so much of a business question, but more of a human question. And this really ultimately is the beauty of design in that we begin with people at the center and that we begin with empathy an understanding of just their needs and their challenges and their motivations. And when you begin to do this and you really begin to start having some of those conversations with people, that's really when those missing pieces start to emerge. I've always, you know, kind of said and learned over the years that when you begin with empathy, a lot of what you think is really challenged by what you learn. And that in turn really informs the design of the solutions and products or experiences that you're trying to bring to people. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So go ahead and share with us your questions and your thoughts. I'll drop both of our handles in the show notes so that you can find us online. And if you have a moment, we'd love if you could rate and review the show and let us know what you're thinking. Starting a project like this is never an easy task. And so I wanted to take a moment to just thank everyone who has offered their feedback, their support, and their advice along the way. I will be back again next week with another guest. Till then, have a fantastic week, everyone. It's your turn to join the conversation by sharing what you enjoyed or what questions you still have. In a world where time and attention are so valuable, thank you for choosing to listen and for being a part of our Sprint to Success with Design Thinking community. 